You are listening to Inspired Caring with Michelle Magner, episode number 117. Hello, welcome to Inspired Caring. I'm your host, Michelle Magner. If you are caring for an older family member, this is the podcast for you. Each week, I bring insight, tips, inspiration, and strategies to help you care for the people that you love without losing yourself along the way. Having cared for both of my grandmothers, I've helped manage everything from hospital stays, households full of belongings, to navigating senior living and end-of-life care. And I've worked in senior living as a result of that experience, serving my residents and their families as they've been on this journey too. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Inspired Caring. Hello, everyone. Hope this episode is finding you well this week. I have been having so much fun creating the Illuminating Senior Living course, and it launched today. Yay! Pop the champagne. I am so excited. This course has been so much fun to create for you and to record and put together and just thinking through everything, every question that I have fielded over the years from families around senior living in one consolidated spot. So in the videos, it's a self-paced video course. I go through all the levels of care, what to look for, when is it time to move, what the experts want you to know, frequently asked questions, common objections, so that you have some framework before you begin these conversations about what may be the person that you're looking for senior living may be thinking. And even if it's for yourself, you know, there are some people who listen to this podcast who may have had some one questions around senior living as well. Anyway, it's just been so much fun. I feel like I've birthed our fourth child and it's so good. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So that being said, we have a lot of questions on the front end about senior living. And sometimes when someone moves to senior living, one of the top questions that we field is, when do I go home? Right? What, how long do I have to stay here? And this can be one of the most heart-wrenching, frustration-generating, guilt-producing questions a family member can be asked. When are you taking me home? Or how long do I have to stay here? When that person is now living in senior living, and I would say memory care is the most challenging because they don't remember having asked that question. So I'm going to go through this today um, and hopefully just bring some new insight to how we could better answer this question and how we can feel when this question is asked of us. For someone who is not living with dementia, this can just turn into a really big argument at some point or often. And Sometimes it's not a huge argument. It just plays out as little jabs here and there. Like, well, if I were at home, I would X, Y, Z. And my father-in-law called his assisted living apartment the home. He referred to it as the home, like it was a rest home. When it was an active, vibrant community with like happy hours and conversations and lovely meals. And it was super triggering for me. 
And it was exactly how he felt. So most of the time it was letting little comments like, well, they only give you one small piece of pie at the home. Go. I had to let them go and just let him say, I mean, it's not even letting him, right? It's giving another human being space to communicate how they're feeling. He felt like he needed to say that. And so my job was to hold space for him, get it off his chest and just not engage. And the undercurrent that we all knew was that his cancer had spread and he had been struggling at home and it just was not possible for him to drive anymore. And my mother-in-law lived in that building on the memory care side. So really for him to see her daily and to get the best care that he needed, the move made a lot of sense. And he was able to just walk down the hall and visit her and see her every day. So if someone is not living with dementia, I know it's still super triggering. And I just want to support you in this idea that they can feel however they want to feel and choose to feel. And we can hold the little spaces to take the jabs. We can make it to the other side of that. Um, these things can be way more complicated when the person is living with dementia, because often that decision to move to memory care was a pretty tough one and it didn't come lightly. And there were a lot of circumstances that precipitated the move. And it was a very emotional decision in the first place. And now this person is looking at you in the face and asking when they get to go back home. And it's seemingly a simple, straightforward question, but it sends you spiraling. Your thoughts are spinning out. They don't like it here. Maybe everything isn't okay. Did I pick the wrong place? Will they ever feel settled? This was a mistake. Why couldn't I do this at home? Like we just full court press come after ourselves. And my hope with this episode is that as you're listening to this, you step away with some new thought processes and strategies on how to best manage this. I had the opportunity to meet Kim Campbell, the singer Glenn Campbell's wife. And she shared with me that even though she was able to have around the clock help at home for her husband, which of course she had done for a while, just as long as possible, they just reached a point with him that keeping him at home wasn't an option. It was no longer working. And the best decision for him and for her was for him to move to senior living. And she is a loving, compassionate, kind wife and human being. And the move wasn't, had nothing to do with her as a person or broken promises or success or failure. It was about what needed to happen at the time with the current circumstances that was in the best interest of her and her husband, Glenn Campbell. And I just felt like it was so powerful for her to look me in the face and say this because I think so often we feel like, well, if we just had the ability to keep them home or pushed a little harder or stretched ourselves a little thinner, that it would work. And very often there just reaches a tipping point within these disease processes and what's happening with someone's brain that that just stretches people too thin and is just not an option. 
one of my residents in memory care, I worked in a memory care for a while. And after fielding this question, her family fielded it multiple times. And they finally decided to take her back over to the most recent house that she had lived in before she had moved to the memory care. And when they got there, they were shocked when this person said, this isn't my home. I've never lived here. I mean, so it totally caught them off guard. And they still actually had the family farm that with the house that she had grown up in on it. So, and it was accessible to them. So they drove past it and she said the same thing. I've never lived here. I want to go home. How confusing is that, right? Tipa Snow is an incredible dementia educator. If you're not already following her, she's on all different platforms, and I highly recommend you connect with her across those platforms. But Tipa educated me years ago, I attended one of her workshops, that home is more of a feeling than a geographical place. And what stings about someone talking about they want to go home, it's the weight and the meaning we are giving these words. It can be very, very triggering for us and lead us to those spiraling thoughts. And it can be very energetically charged with guilt and sadness and anger and shame and frustration. And we want them to stop asking because we want validation from them that we've done the right thing. We want them to stop asking because we want to feel better and reassured. We want them to stop asking because we want them to actually feel at home, like they are in their place. And we've worked really hard to figure it out and set it up. So a little gratitude and acknowledgement would be nice. And I'll tell you, it's really hard when someone's living with dementia and they're repeating these same questions over and over to separate all of this emotion from the, the meaning behind this question. And one of my superpowers is being able to field that any question, the same question 47, 89 times and answer it as if it's the first time that they're asking it every single time. And you can make this one of your superpowers too by removing the heavy meaning and emotion behind why they're asking you that question. Think about how our minds work when it comes to Q&A. We typically ask a question because we're looking for an answer. And we want an answer that we'll, we will find satisfying. And if we're satisfied with the response, we stop asking the question. But they are living with a cognitive impairment or they're living with dementia and their brain isn't functioning the way ours is. It's resetting and they don't remember sometimes that they've just asked you that question. So when they ask that question for that person, it feels like the first time. And that's why they'll repeat the same question over and over again. It's not even necessarily that they're not satisfied with your answer, which could be the case. So you try different answers, but maybe they just don't remember that they've asked the question. People living with dementia have days when they are 
higher functioning than others. I have good days and bad days. I have days when I just feel on point and days when I'm like, oh my gosh, curl up on the couch. And some days the person living with dementia is more lucid and tracking better than others. And so we get very tangled up with this question because our minds want us to respond as if they're always in one of those higher functioning days where communication and reasoning may be more available to them. So just be aware of kind of where they're at in their day. And be aware of this for yourself too. Are you trying to engage with them? Is your mind going to the dark side because of the thoughts you're having when they ask? Because that energetically is showing up as you respond. Let's keep any move in perspective. Any move. Under the best of circumstances, settling in takes time. And what are your expectations of how long it should take for them to feel settled? The last time I moved, it took a long while for my new place to feel like home. I think about our military families regularly moving all over the world. They're restarting, restarting, restarting constantly. And it just takes some time to get settled in. Even when we start a new job, nothing is on autopilot. Where to park? when to go to the bathroom, when and where to eat lunch. It just takes time to find our new normal, settling into our new routines. For someone living with dementia, those whose brain is like regularly resetting, it just also takes time for their surroundings to have a general familiar feel for them. Let's think about also what home feels like for you. It feels familiar, welcoming, the place where you can let your hair down, shut out the world, recharge, reset. Home feels easy, feels natural. I know where all my stuff is most of the time. I know who to expect there, who to expect to walk through the door. And I've lived in multiple places over my life and each city and house has its own vibe that went with that chapter of my life and my routines and movements throughout my house and the city became ingrained habits. I don't, I didn't even have to think about it. And these are the intangible things that make our house a home. So when we think about this question about going home, it's important to remember these intangible things because it does take time for these things to feel familiar and settled in. I have also had residents who were feeling perfectly beautifully at home in the building and they had lived there for years and as their disease process advanced, they started asking this and it sent the family spiraling. And I, realized for some of the residents, maybe home for them was heaven. Like as their disease process was progressing and their health and life were declining, that was a thought that had occurred to me. And it was a really, I don't know, for me, it just felt like a comforting thought that maybe home was actually, if especially if they're a spiritual person, was heaven. So that's just something to take into consideration depending on where things are. We have to remember that someone living with a cognitive impairment 
or a dementia diagnosis, this is a brain altering disease. Their brain is damaged. It's deteriorating and that we're the ones who are cognitively intact. So we want to respond to them, expecting them to fully comprehend or remember something. And that's just not going to work. We have to meet them where they are at. We need to be compassionate and kind and reassuring. It's always a moving target with dementia. Sometimes something works and other times it doesn't. And what we want to be mindful of is just the energy behind our words, right? We talked about our thoughts spiraling, our feelings ramping up, and we want to be mindful of that. So as you try different responses, if your sadness and guilt and agitation are increasing, that will be sensed, increasing the unrest in who you are speaking to. So I just, again, invite you to be mindful of that. This isn't about you and something you did or didn't do. So to cut to the chase, I will tell you that over time, eventually most people settle in and do stop asking. It just takes time. If someone is looking for the exit of the building, we call it exit seeking, eventually most people stop looking for the door and it can take a while, but people usually get there. The book, The 36-Hour Day, A Family Guide to Caring for People Who Have Alzheimer's and Other Dementias by Dr. Nancy Mace and Dr. Peter Rabbins, they talk about how sometimes, yes, sometimes on very rare occasions, depending on the person and the disease process, people do not stop asking this triggering question. And it's heart-wrenching and it just doesn't stop because they are living with dementia. And this is a disease process that affects the brain. And they're not trying to make you feel like crap. They're not trying to make you feel guilty on the regularly, on the regular. They simply don't remember asking you it a million times. And they don't quite remember where they are. But in my experience, eventually most people settle in and do stop asking. I'm going to share something that is going to be a little hard to hear, but after working in senior living for seven years, what I have observed is that when someone is living in the building and they're going throughout their day, they're having a darn good time. They're engaging with other residents, the staff, they're enjoying meals and activities, and they save this special question for you, for when you arrive. And my stomach turns a little bit even sharing that with you because I can already feel you saying, well, if they can remember that it's just me that they need to be asking, then they should be able to remember why they're there. And the unfortunate thing is they just don't. And so I just, I want to reassure you, and I think it's important for you to know that when you're not there, this may not be top of mind. For someone living with dementia, it is important for us to remember that their sense of time is not tracking like ours. Someone is very, very in the moment. They are not tracking mealtimes and holidays and seasons or work schedules. We operate off clocks and calendars. And for someone living with dementia, these things just don't have that meaning. When my mother-in-law was diagnosed, her wall calendar didn't move off October 2016. 
It was kind of amazing, but it stayed there on the wall on that month and year. So I just want you to keep that in perspective, that time, their sense of time is not operating the same way that ours is. I ate a giant slice of humble pie one day when a resident was sitting by the door and she said she was waiting for her grandson to take her out for lunch. And I sat down and we were chatting about him. And of course, I didn't think he was actually coming and then felt like a complete fool when he walked through the door. Um, She saved me a scolding or a smug look and I was kind and respectful and we were just chatting. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh, that's heart hurts my heart. Like she thinks he's coming, but he's not, but he did. So just to, again, she was having a lucid moment (laughs) and we don't want to get too tangled up in that when they're asking this question. So let's go through some other responses to this question. We've talked a lot about perspective and different ways to be thinking about this. So keep in mind that something that may work at one point, at one day, may not work again. Um, so you're just your goal is to respond or redirect them without causing agitation. Like that is our main goal is to not work, get ourselves worked up so they get worked up. You want to remain calm and reassuring. And if someone gets mad at you about how you're answering the question, you get to try something else because oftentimes their mind is resetting. And all of these responses are obviously going to depend on the person and their disease process. And you know them, so um, you know what best to try first. And you want to validate, start by just validating their feelings and acknowledge the question. Don't ignore it because sometimes people pick up on the gaslighting. So when someone asks you a question like this, what they're seeking is help. And so a great way to respond is you're wondering about what the plan is, or I understand what you want to go home and I'm here to help. Your goal here is to avoid an argument. A natural response that I've seen over time is you are home. This is where you live now. This is not necessarily an incorrect response. And depending on the person, this may work. I mean, depending on the moment, this may work. And it might work for a few minutes or it might work for a while. And then often their brain resets and they ask again. You are following their lead to see how they respond to that answer. If it feels clarifying for someone, and they feel reassured by that response, it's okay. If it is agitating them, then it is a no-go. We want to avoid responding with, you are home, this is where you live now. Back in the day, even in nursing programs, they were taught to reorient the person to the current day and time, and this is no longer considered a best practice or compassionate care, because it can send someone spiraling into confusion and fear. I mean, I can you imagine as you're sitting here or walking or whatever you're doing, listening to this right now, and someone just walked up to you and said you can't drive anymore? Or if you're at a friend's house and they say, well, you live here now, it would just be really confusing and scary. So you're welcome to try this response and see how it goes over. Just don't put all your eggs into that basket. And as they continue to ask, again, compassion and kindness. 
I want to also offer you to look for the reasons behind why they need to go home and provide an appropriate response that will make sense or be believable to their why. So for example, um, well, first of all, I had a wife refer to these as therapeutic lies because reminding her husband that the farm had been sold or, or telling them that their parents are dead or um, that their adult children have children of their own instead of that they're little kids or saying, um, you know, any of these things, it can just send a person reeling. It's very confusing and upsetting. So as of right now, today, compassionate care is meeting someone where they are at and rolling with them. We're just going to roll through this scenario like it's a new script. So thinking about the why, um, I would also offer you to have a response that is temporary and or puts them in service to others. So they say, I want to go home. I need to go home. And you respond, oh, yes, we're going to have lunch here first. That would be a short-term explanation that they're staying in that spot and that eventually something else is going to happen. It's okay to try on things like your ride is picking you up from here in a bit. It's also short-term. We're baking cookies to give to some teachers. Or we're doing whatever we're doing, whatever activity we can engage someone in. And um, it's putting them in service to others. Or we're going to fold these towels before heading out. It's something temporary and in service. If they have moved into your home and, in, and are asking that question, a great response is, I needed some help here for a little while. And I'm so grateful that you were willing to come have time with me and help me and our family. Keep in mind that the person may not be tracking how old they are. This is really interesting. Even for you and me, we have our, our um, chronological age and we have subjective age. Like I'm 51 right now. I don't feel 51. I feel like I'm in my thirties. So for someone that is living with dementia, they may really not be tracking how old they are. This It's an interesting question even to ask them. Now, you don't have to correct them when they give you an incorrect response, but they may believe that they are a young adult or even a child. I would have residents upset because they were worried that their mother didn't know where they were, even though they themselves were in their elder years, right? Their 80s, 90s. And their parents had died a long, long time ago, but they felt like they were a child. And so they're, they were feeling insecure around all of these strangers. So reassuring someone that their mom knows where they are and has plans to come back can be really helpful. Just think about what would a teenager or a child version of them need to hear to feel comfortable and like they are safe? Like where would their parents be? Your mom's at church and she's coming right back after. She knows you're here and we're going to take good care of you until she gets back, okay? Let's have a snack while we wait or I'm kind of hungry or let's go get an ice cream. I mean, think about what if someone thinks they themselves are a younger parent and they need to get home to meet their kids. Like the kid's bus is going to be dropping them off after school 
um, or they need to make dinner for their spouse. So choose a reassuring response that would fit with the time period that they think they are living in. All of this is part of redirecting. It's a gentle way of moving the conversation from the specific topic of going home to a new topic, preferably one that would be connected and enjoyable to talk about. Um, these, those are all just like framework questions on how you can begin to redirect. And then here are some more specific examples of redirecting because sometimes the stuff works and sometimes it doesn't. It is a moving target. So someone says, I want to go home or when am I going home? And you could ask home. Yes, we're working on next steps for that. What do you think would be good to cook for dinner tonight? And then you can redirect the conversation to talk about cooking and recipes. Do you have a favorite place in your house that you like to sit and hang out? I have this rocking chair. It is so uncomfortable in my living room. I should probably just get rid of it. And you can talk about furniture, rocking chairs, rocking babies, favorite spots. Where does the sunshine pour into the house? Redirecting. You could share or say, oh, I don't think it's time to head out yet. What was your normal schedule like? Did you or did you go to work at 8 a.m.? How did you get to work? And we can start to transition to talking about career and profession. We've covered a lot of territory here today. And I know, I really, really, really know how hard it is to be asked this question, especially when your heart is hurting or you're feeling triggered by that question. And as always, if someone is living in senior living, touch base with the staff. Ask them um, how they handle that question. If there's been an increase in how often this is being asked, talk to medical professionals. Maybe something medical is going on that needs to be addressed. Um, maybe they have some sort of infection which can actually increase someone's dementia symptoms. And follow dementia educators like Tipa Snow, Dementia Darling, Be Light Care, and Dementia Care Blazers. And I'm going to put connections to all of their Instagram handles in the show notes for you. I want you to know that I see you and I love you and you're doing a great job. Big hug to you and keep up the great work. 